Thank you, Pastor Mike and Pastor Joy. It's just, and all the other leadership team, David and Steve and everybody that's here. And to all of you, you're just so, um, this is a good church. This is a real good church. You go to a lot of churches where there's not much happening. And it's such a joy to come to a church where it's happening. And the Spirit's moving in. You're blessed to come to a church where the Holy Spirit is activated and to be under leadership that loves the Spirit of God. It's a real blessing. Wonderful. I believe that this, whenever it is we have our pastors and leaders conference, you're coming over to help us with it. And I think that's just wonderful and we look forward to that. This time I might get you a couple of days earlier if I can lasso you and get a few meetings extra out of you. <laughs> Wonderful Jesus. He's very popular in our church, your pastor. All my life I wanted to understand. Understand how something works. How the Spirit of God works on me so I could cooperate with him how the gifts of the Spirit work so I could enter into them. I don't know everything, but I know a little bit. But I can enter into what I know. At one stage of my life, I desperately wanted to know how to repent. And of course, I had learnt all my doctrines, I passed all my exams. But that doesn't mean you know how to do it. It just means you might know what to do, but how how do you repent? How do you do this stuff? I memorized, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation, but I didn't always feel like one. Anybody else here ever, sometimes you don't feel like a new creation? I'd put off the old man, but he'd pop back on again all the time. How do you keep that blighter off? That was, that was my question. It's uh, how to do stuff. How to understand. Today I'd like to talk about the spirit and maturity. And how does maturity work? And of recent times, I believe God's opened it up to me and it's helped me enormously. I've been helped a lot by God because I jolly well needed a lot of help. In 1 Thessalonians 5.23, we read this, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit soul and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ notice that God divides us up that God doesn't just talk about you but when he wants to discuss us he says that you are a spirit you have a soul and you live inside of a body in Genesis 1.27, it says that God created man. Man and female, he created them. But he created man. The Hebrew word is bara, which means to create out of nothing. There was nothing there, and God created man. In Genesis 2.7, it says God formed man out of the dust of the ground, and man became a living soul. And God breathed into man the breath of life and he became a living soul. 
So he created man in 127. He formed man in 2-7. What does it mean? He says that we are a spirit made in the image of God. Let us make man in our image. John 4, 24 tells us God is spirit. They that worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So God created the image of himself, a spirit being. And then the Hebrew word is yetzah. He formed man out of the dust of the ground, out of a pre-existing material, the word yetzah means. Bara creates out of nothing. But God formed man. He created out of a, out of a pre-existing material, the dust of the ground. So he created our spirit. He formed our body. And he breathed the, his own spirit into this body. And when he breathed his spirit into our body, man became a living soul, the Bible says. So I like to know how God says I came into existence. So he created me a spirit being made in his own image. He formed me from the dust of the ground so my body will go to dust again. And the soul came into existence. Your soul is your mind, your emotions, and your will. The Bible defines it in that way. Your spirit will live forever. You can't kill a spirit. You can kill your body, but you can't kill you. You will live forever. Whether you want to or not, you've got no say in it. As soon as you were conceived. I like a culture that I was in on one occasion, traveling around speaking. They dated a person's age from the moment of conception. They didn't date their age from the moment of birth. I like that. For you were a living soul, living for eternity, the moment you were conceived. And you were going to live forever then, whether you die in your mother's womb, well, you've obviously made it. <laughs> but that child, if you've lost an unborn baby, a premature baby of some sort, it's a sad, tragic thing. But you have family in heaven. Absolutely. So God deals with our spirit and the sin of our spirit. God calls life relationship and death the breakage of that relationship. That's why God said we were dead in our sin. We were cut off from God. We had no relationship with the source of our life. It didn't mean we didn't exist. It said, you have no relationship. You're dead. And the Bible says we were made alive by Jesus Christ when he took our sin away and came into our life. Relationship was restored. So the Bible calls that life. We were connected again to the Father of lights with whom we have to do. Book of Proverbs tells us that he lit the candle of our spirit. Our spirit came alive. It does not say our soul 
was converted. It does not say our mind was converted. It says our spirit was saved. That the eternal God, the mighty God, came and joined himself to my spirit. And out of that, my spirit, the spirit of God joining himself to me, 1 Corinthians 6, 17, then my soul is influenced. If I know how to let the influence of the spirit come over my soul, if I understand it, why the change that seemed so difficult to me for years becomes absolutely achievable. We talked about some of that yesterday afternoon. Now I want to talk about it, the relationship of our soul and our spirit and how change comes about. In Isaiah 43 verse 25, we read this, I, even I, am He, this is God speaking, who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. So He blotted out my sin. There was a lot of it. But your sin is that you don't acknowledge God, that you are your own God. We call it, in Australia anyhow, I am the master of my own destiny. No, you're not. Nobody is. Even the atheist will discover there's a God one day. Absolutely. We all will. Because every knee shall bow at the name of Jesus. On this earth, or after we leave it, there is no question. So, God blots out our transgressions. He is our Father for His own sake, of course. Many of us here have reared a family. And if you like to remember back, you could most likely remember when your child wouldn't eat their vegetables, about six or seven years old, and they made every mealtime a jolly battleground. <laughs> eat your blessed vegetables. With threats and coercion, you got a, a minute amount down their throat. You would think you were feeding them arsenic. <laughs> That's reasonably, horribly acceptable for a six or seven-year-old. Are there any 30-year-olds here who still don't eat their vegetables? <laughs> it's less acceptable when you're 30. Are there any 50-year-olds who still haven't learned to eat their vegetables? It's even less acceptable. So God, we, when our child grows up and they're a fine young person, and we, we are so proud of our family now, we don't, we're thinking, you wouldn't eat your vegetables, you wouldn't eat your vegetables, you wouldn't. No, we blot out their transgressions from our memory. Of course, I could remember, sure, she was stubborn as a, big-headed monster. She wouldn't eat a vegetable. But it's like a laugh in me now. It's all over and done with. God says, I've blotted out your transgressions for my sake. I'll remember your sin no more. When you were swelled-headed and thought you were the bee's knees and you didn't need me or anything else, 
I won't remember that anymore. You're my child now. And then he says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. And I memorized that. Billy Graham sent it to me. And I memorized it. Feeding the cows on the loose. I was down from the territory running a farm now. But it didn't seem like it was real. Ever fed bacon of pigs? And you, you had to get in the yard with them, which I normally didn't, but sometimes I did. And you had this four-gallon drum of skim milk, and you're going to tip it in their trough. There's about 20 of them. And my goodness me, you've got to have a good hold on the ground or they'll knock you down. <laughs> and sometimes they might. And suddenly my soul got disturbed. <laughs> if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. But boy, I didn't feel like one. And sadly, I didn't act like one either. And I nearly ruined my four-gallon drum because I belted them with it. It was empty. Then I had to go and get another one. Not very smart. Not nice to the pigs, absolutely, but then I wasn't nice. Not nice to the drum either. I had to get a new one because that one was wrecked. But I was mad. How can it be that I am a new creation and I'm mad. Well, you take a car. You've got the engine of the car. But there's a bit of rust in the body and a few more bits on the other side. And the tires crook. You don't say, the car's no good. You say, I have to cut that bits of rust out. The engine's jolly good. My spirit's good. I have learned to do this. been a great key to me. I have learned to realize God saved my spirit and my soul is coming into maturity. I'm learning to eat my vegetables. <laughs> There's a bit of rust in my soul here and there. I've got to cut it out and weld it up and paint it and it'll look real good. I'll work on that bit of rust. If I don't have myself defined as God defines me, all I can say is, I don't know what's wrong with me, the whole thing. I, I can't make Christianity work. Like, it doesn't seem to work for me. Like, for heaven's sake, I was better off before I became a Christian. I could blow my top there and nobody gave a hoot, including me. Now, I'm all guilty. <laughs> and it's just all general. The whole world's gone mad. But I have learnt to remind myself, my spirit is saved. My soul is now coming into maturity. And I'll work on these bits of my soul that got rust in them or whatever. But there's only a few bits. Most of your soul is fine. But when something goes wrong, we tend to say, everything's crook. Like when your wife won't do what you want her to do. <laughs> or when your husband won't act like the head of the home as you perceive the head of the home should act. You say, well, I've read the Bible. Well, so has he. <laughs> <laughs> he 
How many of you got married and then were astounded that she didn't think like you thought? Anybody apart from me? Or he didn't think like you thought? It was incredible. Now I grew up in stock camps and then I was a bachelor running a farm. I'd never mixed amongst young ladies. Anne was the first girl I ever took out in my life. I just thought, what a lucky man I am. And I was to have Anne. But it was a shock to me that a woman had to put on her face. <laughs> and it seemed to me that it took forever. <laughs> I was always in a hurry. Is any man apart from me stood tapping your foot while your wife <laughs> finished put on her face? There's one man. You and I are mates. It was an astounding thing. I thought she looked okay anyhow. But she wanted to put on her face. Anybody here that married a different personality type than themselves? Anybody? A couple? That was amazing. Anne is pure phlegmatic. I'm a bit choleric, a fair bit choleric, a bit sanguine, and a bit melancholy. But I am no phlegmatic. <laughs> Anne is pure phlegmatic. I don't understand there was such a thing as choleric, sanguine, melancholy, and phlegmatic. Never heard of those characters. I was just a bloke from the bush, got married <laughs> to a phlegmatic. <laughs> And phlegmatics are wonderful people, if you can come to understand them. <laughs> when you're a choleric, sanguine, etc. But we can be going up the road, and uh, three kilometers from where we're going to turn left, on a three-lane freeway, and we'll pull onto the left lane because phlegmatics are going to turn left a few kilometers up there. There can be a truck going in a 100k zone and we can sit on 90k's for that 3k's. Not me, boy. I'd be darting out round. I'd pass four cars. <laughs> and I've learned to sit in the passenger seat and not say anything, haven't I? <laughs> I have. I have. It only took me about 40 years to learn that. But I have learnt it. I have seen her pull into the left lane five kilometres before we turned off and travel at 90 k's. Now, if you travel at 90 k's instead of 100 for three kilometres, most likely I've saved 15 seconds. But I used to sit there. You could duck out there, Anne. We're going to turn off up here. Get around him. Go on. You can do it. So I, I sat for three Ks agitated <laughs> while Anne was at peace. <laughs> How does God expect us to be a Christian in a situation like that? 
Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. That's a good theory. <laughs> a phlegmatic? Yes, I love Anne. I love her very much. Anne is a wonderful lady. And I truly love her very much. Now, I'm just telling stories out of school, which most likely she doesn't like because she's a private person. But she loves me. <laughs> and I rarely ever do it. <laughs> she might love me. I'm finished. <laughs> there we go. I'm in trouble. Stop digging. Stop digging? No, I'm not worried. Annie's a good girl. Once I remember preaching, and I hadn't had a steak for a while. And I mentioned it in my preaching just as an offside. My goodness, I got steaks, breakfast, dinner, and tea. <laughs> and finally I said, man, we've had a lot of steak lately. And she quietly said, you said I never gave you any. <laughs> I never have mentioned that in public again. <laughs> I'm a slow learner, but not that slow. We're different, but that doesn't make us right or wrong. It makes us different. And it, it's a wonderful thing that we're different. I'm sure glad she's not a man. <laughs> that would be horrific. <laughs> I heard or read a story that's purportedly true. It happened in the 19th century, that is, the 1800s, that this husband and wife, and he came home and was in Europe, and he looked at the accounts, and I believe from my memory I'm correct, I'm very close to it if I'm not, she spent two pennies too much on sugar. And he told her off. After all, he's the head of the home. He owns the money. And so he chastised her, spending too much on sugar, wasteful. She got hurt. She said, I, in herself, she said, I cook for him. I keep house for him. I do everything, raise our kids. And he reckons I spent too much on sugar, but he never tells me what I do right. So she got in a huff and didn't talk to him. So he said, you don't talk to me. You spend too much on sugar, so I'm not going to talk to you. And so each sat in silence while they had this happy meal. <laughs> Over two pennies. Two pennies. Both intelligent people, although you've got to wonder. But there are... 2,010 people who do similar things. Mightn't be two pennies now, it might be she bought another dress and she had six already. <laughs> Whatever. Stupid things, really, in the light of eternity, what do they matter? And this couple did not speak to each other and they lived in the same house for 42 years. True. 
true. And it was only when one was nearly on their deathbed that the other one spoke to them again. And they had 42 years of horror over two pennies. Are you that stupid? I've been stupid like that. Do you have to have your own way? It's in the soul, you see. Our soul has got to become mature. You wouldn't call them mature, not talking to each other. But I wonder, has anybody in this room ever spent a wonderful meal in a huff? And you were above seven years of age. Our spirit is saved, but we have to grow to maturity. And when I realized that, it really helped me. That I saw my salvation is secure, I have to grow to maturity. I need to eat my vegetables. I need to treat Anne with utmost respect and dignity. And I had to learn this, and some of you guys might need to learn it, maybe one maybe none but I had to learn that her thoughts were just as important as my thoughts and I knew my thoughts were best <laughs> it's very hard when you know you're right and you've got to give equal dignity to thoughts that you think are wrong because your mind can zip through and say well that wouldn't work is anybody else here ever had that sort of problem? There's about six, seven, a few people. I thought I was getting lonely. It's called maturity. That other people's opinions, whether your wife, husband or friend or workmate, are just as important as your opinions. It's hard for us to really comprehend when we know we're right. Some men say, I'm the head of the home, that makes me a little Hitler dressed up in Christian clothes. Saying, Amen, hallelujah, praise the Lord, but you'll do what I tell you. <laughs> and she just doesn't. <laughs> like your mother picked up your socks after you, and she refuses to. Amazing. And your underpants. <laughs> and you eat your dinner and dirty all these dishes and let her wash up while you watch the sports. I'm the head of the home. I wonder any of you men ever do such a stupid thing as that. <laughs> or do you, because you think like an Australian man, that's women's work. Any of you blokes think that's women's work to do all the dishes? It's man's work to eat. <laughs> it's called maturity. My spirit's saved. And out of this softening of my spirit by the life of God, when I learn the principle of meditation, 
and the, one of the secrets of meditation is that I practice life in the theater of the imaginations of my own heart. With the Holy Spirit, I practice being a husband that's kind and gracious, understanding that Anne has incredible wisdom, and she does. That I am not always right. Man, it's hard to face yourself and realize I need to resign from the pantheon of the gods <laughs> and assume mere mortality. But it's a wonderful revelation when it really gets your heart. I don't have to be right all the time because I'm not. And it's okay to make a mistake. When that comes, it takes a lot of stress off you. And I can actually ask her opinion. <laughs> you are your favorite preacher because you listen to yourself in your thoughts or your words all day, every day. But your wife is your next main preacher. Because she talks to you or she doesn't. Both, I've found, are very loud. <laughs> when you come in, men, and you say hi or something, and you get a little mumble or nothing at all as an answer, if you're like me, you start to search your mind. What did I do wrong? <laughs> must have done something wrong. Can't think of anything. Are you okay? Yes, I'm okay. But I can tell by the sound. I'm not okay. So I search again. Any other man do this? <laughs> Couple? <laughs> Women the same? Now Anne and I get on very well together. I think we are, have become extremely content with each other. I think that our love for each other is very strong. And I love her and she loves me. And we're together till the day we go to heaven. Gladly so. However, it wasn't always like that. No. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I was a big shot preacher, see? <laughs> Church of 5,000. 200 other churches I was looking after. So I had my priorities. And Anne had hers. She wanted me round a bit more. But I was too busy. She would have liked me to play more with the kids. But if I sat in a chair for any length of time, I'd go to sleep. I was so tired. A 14, 15 hour day was normal, six days a week normal. Unusual if it wasn't that. So I lived from being exhausted to totally exhausted, somewhere in that range. Surely she could understand that. No, she couldn't always. <laughs> this precious lady. One of the saints of God. 
I wonder if any of you men are stupid as I was. Hmm? I wonder. You valued a bit of overtime more than your kids and your wife. I wonder. I wonder. But I was doing it for the kingdom of God. Stupid idiot as I was. It was like the 15 seconds I gained through diving out, but I beat five cars. Oh, yeah. Yes. I felt good. I got him before I had to duck off on my turn off. Yeah. Like king of the road. Yeah. If a big truck's going, get in front of him. But then I drove a 20 ton truck for a while at one stage and and I used to talk to those people who cut in front of me. <laughs> and I had to slam the brakes on. Well, I talked about them. <laughs> so, we're a funny bunch, aren't we? Really. Really, we are an odd bunch. I wonder why God loves us so much. I've seen some Australian blokes like I was, I guess. They ask them to give their life to Christ and they'd think that if God got me, he'd get a prize. But actually, he'd get a headache. <laughs> and you ought to bring a packet of aspirin to go with you. <laughs> I'm amazed that God's raised billions of kids and he still wants more. I can't understand it. And I had three. We don't want any more. <laughs> we don't. And if Anne came to me and said, I'm pregnant, I'd say, my God. <laughs> I'm leaving all of them now yeah. to this fine yeah. couple. <laughs> May they have another quiverful. <laughs> we are a funny bunch. We truly are. And if you can laugh at yourself a bit, you get on better. With that woman beside you, she's really precious, and you're really precious. And if you're precious to each other in your thoughts, you get on better. And she wants to put on her face, and you want to get going to the pig and calf sale or something. And to you, I want to get hold of that bunch of stool pigs and get a bid in. I want to get there and look them all over. What are you doing? How long are you going to be? And oh, another five. Good Lord, woman, what the hang are you doing in there? <laughs> Putting on my face. Well, who cares about your face? We want pigs. It's life. My spirit is saved. But I'm learning maturity. My soul is becoming mature. How do you do this stuff? Well, one, it's a deep realization. I am a created spirit, created by God. My soul was formed. God didn't say he saved my soul. He said the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. That is the truth of God understanding the words of God, when I apply them, like we were talking about yesterday afternoon, 
to, to my life, then my soul changes. It's just a, just a truly a, a wonderful experience, life, when you get a handle on it a bit. Uh, in Psalm 59, David, who's been certainly one of my great heroes, I've learned so much. He's a real spirit man, David. I've learned so much from David. Psalm 59. This was when David escaped from Saul. Saul was trying to kill him with the javelins. And he ran to his own house. And Saul sent the secret police of Israel to surround his house and kill him. Now David was only a young man. Late teenage years most likely, around about then. I wouldn't like Mossad after me. Those fellows are tough. I wouldn't want to be in that house by myself with them surrounding it. What would David do? What does a spirit man do when he's surrounded by enemies who all want to kill him? What do you do when your emotions are round about you and they're all upset? Or a few of them are upset. Look at what he did. He sat down and he did something I would never in a million years have thought to do. He wrote a psalm. Oh, come on, David, you've got to get out of here, man. This is not the time to write any blessed psalms. And mind being too religious now, boy, it's your life. They're after you. They're going to kill you, man. And you've got any brains, you know. He sat down, calmed his soul, and wrote a psalm. In fact, he did it quite often. And he listened to the psalm. Deliver me from my enemies, O oh my God. He was a spirit man. He was living life from his spirit. And he was in the process of calming his emotions. And so that he could live from the spirit. And he would have a calm mind and calm emotions. And he made wise decisions. And he lived. Defend me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from the workers of iniquity and save me from bloodthirsty men. For look, they lie in wait for my life, the mighty gathered against me. Not for my transgression or my sin, O Lord. They run and prepare themselves through no fault of mine. Awake to help me, and behold, you therefore, O Lord, God of hosts, the God of Israel. Awake to punish all the nations. Do not be merciful to any wicked transgressors. By that evening they return, they growl like a dog. They go all around the city. Indeed, they belch with their mouth. Oh, he's getting launched now. Swords are in their lips. He wrote the psalm, folded it up, put it in his pocket, and took off. And somehow or other, that psalm was preserved. And it's called Psalm 59. How do I know he wrote it then? Because it I'm a wonderful spiritual man. I actually read it. <laughs> a Mitchum of David, when Saul sent men and they watched the house in order to kill him. So that's how I worked it out. <laughs> it was a midnight vision I had. 
as the angels came and brought the scroll to me. Another one. People do stupid things. I love David. I followed him. I admire David. I followed David through all his journeyings in detail. And here he flees from Saul. He was down in Ramah. And the prophets were all prophesying and David was prophesying. And the Saul sent soldiers to get him and kill him. And the soldiers, as soon as they got in the presence, they started to prophesy. God was okay. He could handle the army of Israel. There was no problem to him. So they went home and said, wow, you know, like a... And Saul sent some more down and said, you get him. You kill him. I hate him. And they came down. As soon as they got in the presence, they prophesied. But David, while he had learnt this Psalm 59, he hadn't learnt it properly, not the principle, and he got scared. And he said, Saul knows where I am. He'll kill me. And he ran away. And lots of troubles came out of him running away. He ended up at Nob. And the priests all got killed because he went there and ran away. Fear destroys things. And then when he escaped out of there, he said to the high priest, he said, is there any swords here? I left in a real hurry on the king's business and I didn't take a sword. And he said, we have no weapons here except the sword of Goliath. That's the only one that was hanging on the wall that you took off Goliath when you killed him. David said, listen to it, what fear does you? When your soul starts to lead you instead of your spirit, listen to it. David looked at the sword and said, give it to me. There is none like it. It was only a year or two before that he looked at Goliath nine foot odd high with that same sword. And he said, you come against me with swords and staves, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of hosts the God of Israel. And he flung a sling and took him out. Now he looks at the sword because his soul is in ascendancy. Fear is on the ramp page and David is under the force of it. He looks at it and said, there's none like it. And David took it. Now my mind tells me, David, I don't know how high he was, say five foot nine. Sort of that height. But Goliath was nine foot high. He got a sword for a nine-foot bloke. That sword would be six foot, something like that. It, the tip of the sword's dragging through the desert sands while he goes. And where does he go while his soul is leading him? He goes down to Gath, the city where Goliath lived before he killed him. His brothers are there. He's going to hide from Saul in the land of the Philistines, Israel's enemies thought, I'll be safe, I'll get amongst the enemies. Wrong, David, wrong. <laughs> they recognized the man who'd killed their, their mighty man as he came in. They arrested him, put him in jail. David said, what on earth will I do? He acted like a madman. Dribble fell down his skin. He's just a total madman, scrabbling at the walls. And they came, and the king of Philistia said, why have you brought this madman to him? Take him out, throw him outside the walls. David said, oh good, I got away. He runs away and he heads 
to some country he knows, for when he was a shepherd boy, he minded the sheep near the cave Abdullam. That's where he fed his father's sheep. He knew that territory perfectly well. He knew that cave inside out. He played in it. He checked all of its tunnels out. A huge labyrinth, they tell me. I've never been there. But they tell me that. Listen to what David said when he ran away. Again, he got away. And instantly now, he came back to his spirit. His compass went north. I'm in the spirit again. He wasn't in the spirit when he was acting like a madman. But now he's free. He drops down again. Listen to what he wrote. Psalm 34. Again, I had a visitation in the middle of the night. But I actually read a psalm of David when he pretended madness before Abimelech who drove him away and he departed. And then David wrote this incredible psalm and stuffed it in his back pocket too. And now we've got it in the Bible. I will bless the Lord at all times. Sounds like a modern day Christian, doesn't it? He was acting like a madman only a couple of hours before. Now he's hightailing across the desert, heading for the cave of Abdullam. Didn't know who on earth would know he was even alive. He's heading there. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord and be glad. The righteous shall hear thereof. Be glad. Great psalm. I've learnt from David that when my soul is troubled to drop down into my spirit for my spirit is saved. My soul is learning maturity. I've learned most when I've been suffering. I have learned least when things have been going well. When things go wrong, I have to cry out to God. And He shows me the way out. And I have a reasonably analytical mind. And so I examine God. How did you get me out of that? And so I've learned the ways of the Spirit. Oh, it's a wonderful life. How, how do we get maturity in our soul? Because I've talked long enough. I think there's several steps. The first one I've mentioned about three, four times because I want it impressed in your mind. You come back to Compass North, my spirit. I am a spirit. I'm going to drop down there. My soul might be in distress. Uh, somebody doesn't like me. And my mind is in torment because it goes round and round and round and round. The Bible does not say we get a new mind when we get saved. It tells us to renew our mind. It doesn't say God will. It tells you to do it. Therefore, you and I must be able to do it. It tells us to bring our soul in submission by the truth. For the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. My spirit is saved. My soul is being converted by truth. Love your wife like Christ loved the church. Wives, love your husbands. Honor your husbands. It starts off not just wives submit to your husbands, but the beginning of that passage is submitting one to another. 
And in the context of submission, this is the order. But the context is mutual submission. So it's good for me to submit to Anne. And it's good for Anne to submit to some of my ideas. It's good for us. You will discover if you get married, wherever your rough edges are, you'll find them. And then in your distress, you will cry out to God, if you've got any brains at all. <laughs> and he will deliver you, not from your wife or your husband, <coughs> but from yourself. And you will grow mature. And we'll learn, I can't have everything I want, but I can be content in whatsoever state I am. And I can learn contentment of soul. Absolutely. The second thing I believe is to meditate a lot. God tells us meditate day and night, 24-7. To meditate is to take a truth of God, turn it round and round, look at it and examine it from every possible angle with your heart and your mind in the presence of God, just in the fellowshipping with him by yourself. And ask this question. This is the key. What will I be like, Lord, when this truth is fully worked out in me? When my spirit, my soul is submissive to you, to those around about me and those in authority over me. But if you are in authority, what will I be like, God, when I'm absolutely submissive to you? God, how... Will you tame this strong nature of mine? I've broken in a lot of wild horses. Trapped them, broken them in. We had 148 riding horses on our big territory property. And I broke in pretty much all of them. Bought 20. So I broke the rest of them. And I said how I liked a horse just to come under. And I broke this one that was a mare, bay mare about five years old. But I couldn't get her to arch her neck, no matter what I did. And I took her out on her first stock camp. And I was riding her this day. Each man had four horses. Uh, so I was riding her this day just to give her a spin and train her a bit. And we were going after these cattle, wild cattle. And so we were flat galloping. The cattle all wheeled that way. But she had her hair head in the air, giggle-headed, we used to call it. She was stargazing, wobbling it around like this, extremely unsafe. She couldn't look at the ground because she was too busy looking up above. And I was hanging on there. We were going flat bore. Couldn't handle her, couldn't stop her, couldn't do anything. I saw a big washaway coming up. And sure enough, we landed in the bottom of it, her and me. But I wore a 40, 45 Smith & Western revolver because I used to shoot scrub bulls with it if they were getting in trouble in the mob. So I'd dummy up the bullet and hit them in the gut with it. And they'd drop out the back instead of break out the other. That's what we did. And I had the revolver on. Within seconds, I had that revolver out and I pulled a bullet straight through the saddle, flap, and straight through her heart. I was not a Christian. <laughs> I wanted my saddle back. That mare was a Bromley. She was gone. 
I couldn't catch her. She was giggle-headed. I've got to agree that before the Holy Spirit, at times I have been giggle-headed. I wonder if you, gazing somewhere, accepted him. Because the troubles were on in my soul. I was disturbed and distressed. Surely God doesn't expect me to be nice and loving just now. I am upset. Anybody ever been like that? Or only me? So we learn maturity. Now please forgive me for shooting that horse. I did lots of things before I got saved that you'd have to forgive me for. I've stolen more cattle than you can poke a stick at. Yes, if I said it went under the power, that would have been better. Anyhow, but I didn't claim to be a nice person. But I've learnt somewhat to walk with God. It's been a wonderful experience. And I wish for you the same experience. I've talked too long, haven't I? I'm sorry. But I'd like you to realize your spirit is saved. The God of Israel is joined to your spirit. I am learning maturity now. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Certainly I am in the spirit. And parts of my soul changed when I got saved. But I knew when I did the wrong thing and it, it convicted me and I worked at it and as I gradually learned how I could change. Now I understand the principle of change and I change quickly. And life is much easier. Could we pray? Heavenly Father, I pray for every man here that the gentleness of the Holy Spirit would come over our manhood and that you'd make us gentle, romantic, loving, kind, without any sense of losing our manhood, but rather gaining it. And I pray for every woman in this place for that same blessed, gentle presence of the Holy Spirit of God to come over them and to bring a sweet calm to them so that if they are rearing children in the midst of children running around and getting tea ready and a husband sitting chewing gum while he watches TV, maybe. But may it not be so that that calm of the Spirit would preserve them. Father, I pray for every marriage that there'll be a togetherness. I pray for every person that's been through the horror of divorce that the presence of Jesus would come over them and take the agony of the pain away and whisper into their heart, there is life after that experience. 
Pray for everybody who was married and their partner has gone to another world. That your presence would come over them and they could drop down in their spirit and from the spirit they could live again. Could rise up and become all that you have them to be. That nothing can defeat us. No adversity can take us out. That we'll be masters of our soul through the Spirit and through that precious Word of God. Father, we honor you, we praise you, we worship you, and without you, O oh God, we truly are nothing but a vapor, but with you, we're eternal.